Welcome to LeapCast. I'm your host, Dr. George James. LEAP stands for leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers. And I'm on a journey to connect with high achievers and highlight their unexamined human moments. Tune in to learn how these high-achieving LEAP individuals were able to reach their greatest potential, face their most difficult challenges, and embrace the human moments that helped them along the way. If you want to get the episode highlights directly in your email, then head to theleapcast.com right now to subscribe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to LeapCast. I'm your host, Dr. George James, where we talk to leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers. Today, I am excited to bring on another guest. She is just amazing. She's done wonderful things. Her fashion sense is just off the charts, and she's helped influence some great people that you see every day. I have Rayonda Vereen today. Thank you, Rayonda, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, you know, part of this, you know, our conversation, the way we like to start is what we call our leap story. And this is just really to understand, like, how did you really start and not even starting the career, but like going way back as far back as you're willing to go. I would love to just understand like you in your early days. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit of your story. Uh, yes. So I will say, honestly, my career path started back when I was about 13, 14 years old. I started uh, modeling really? and I was I was a teen uh, runway model nice. and I was very shy. And um, there were some older girls. They were like 17. One in particular who I'm still friends with, who took me under her wing and, you know, kind of made me feel more comfortable with doing runway shows. But I realized I was more interested in what the people were doing behind the scenes. And so when I went to college, I went to Howard University. I started to get involved. I know all the folks out there. H-U? (laughs) Right. The real (laughs) H-U. Right, right, right. It is exactly what they do, too. (laughs) All the Hampton people like, no, come on, stop. (laughs) Exactly. But so I I did stop modeling. And um, when I went to Howard University, I started off with a major in fashion merchandising because they didn't have a, at the time, they didn't have a major in fashion design. And so, you know, I got accepted and my mother, she did not want me to major in fashion. And she said, you can always do fashion because it's it's in you. What I think you need to do is have a business foundation. And if you have that business foundation, you could use that model to do whatever you want, whether it be fashion, whether it be producing, whatever avenue you start to take. But I really think you should major in business. So I changed my major because of that. With that being said, all my extracurricular activities was involved in fashion. Because Howard is a fashion runway, just even going to class. Yes, yes. You (laughs) You gotta have your fit right on your way to class. (laughs) And and I'm actually curious, right? So for some folks out there, they might not understand what it means to be on a runway or what happens behind the scenes. You know, I might have been in one or two fashion shows in the day and there's Mm -hmm. quick changes. There's a whole lot going on. So can you share going back to 13, maybe Mm -hmm. what it was like behind the scenes and that made you feel like this is what I love? Mm hmm. So just the, the like you never see the people behind the scenes who always make it happen, right? You see the people on the forefront more than you see the people behind the scenes. So those are the people who get all the accolades. And I've seen the hard work that goes into putting a fashion show together from 
the people behind the scenes with, you know, the fashion director creating the looks and, you know, putting looks together per model, how many changes they'll have and, you know, setting up the dressing rooms and dressers and dressers are the people who help dress the model before they hit the stage. And then there's a person, usually a fashion director who does last looks before you hit the runway. So what right, you know, when you get dressed and you're right behind the curtain, there's somebody who does last looks on you to make sure you're appropriate before you hit the runway. And then when you come off of the runway, you we have what's called quick changes because you have to hurry up and get changed into your next costume while, you know, there's models in front of you walking the runway. They help you, you know, undress and get um, changed into your next costume quickly so you can hit the runway with your next look. So there are a lot of details that go into, you know, behind the scenes that people are unaware of and then making sure it's a lot of organization as well, because, you know, you might put a month, two months into creating a fashion show, but it goes so fast. Like, you know, it's over in, you know, 30 minutes, but it's like all of this work that went into creating this whole vibe and, you know, mood and, you know, showing you the trend forecast for 30 minutes that was, you know, took over like two, three months to produce. And so I was interested and I'm like, these people work really, really hard to make this happen. And, you know, I always considered myself, even as a kid, as a like creative person. Mm. And so then when I went to Howard, I started working on the fashion shows at Howard okay. uh, behind the scenes and did, a, you know, some of the runway shows, but working behind the scenes, helping to what was bring your, the what was your first position that you kind of held in some of these fashion shows or even runway shows that you did? Uh, model. <laughs> uh, uh, even at Howard when you got mm-hmm. I started as a model and then, I, you know, I went into like being a dresser behind the scenes. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And so, so now you're at, you're at Howard business degree, but, but everything else fashion, what's happening for you during those phases or what's it, feel like for you during those times? The only way that I felt like I was really able to, you know, because I had to being a business major at Howard was intense because, you know, you have these things called speakers bureaus on, we had them on Tuesday nights and we had Friday sessions. So it was a lot to entail. So anytime I had free time, you know, took it upon myself to like, you know, go to the mall and help dress and style my friends, like just things that I could do to push me in that direction, even though I wasn't getting paid for it. It was my love for it. Like, and I knew if I found something that I love and was passionate about and I not for pennies or nothing, then I knew that I could do that as a career. That's awesome. And, mm-hmm. Does that mean you were one of those people on campus? Somebody was going somewhere. They were like, hey, Rayonda, what, what should I do? What should I wear? <laughs> well, my yes, my friend. I had three friend circles in my friend circles. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So. I actually want to, I want to come back to Howard and the, your experience there, but I want to go back a bit. So 13, you started runway and you were doing modeling. What even got you interested in that? Or what made you say you wanted to try it? I did it. <laughs> my mother and my aunt, my mother growing up when I was younger, she was a singer and a, a dancer. And, you know, she was slated to, you know, her parents wanted her to go to New York and, you know, audition to be on Broadway, but then she had me. So a lot of her dreams were put on hold. And I think a lot of what was still inside of her, even though I, I couldn't sing and I couldn't dance, I wasn't a professional dancer. A lot of her dreams that she put on hold, I think she instilled in me. Okay. But at the same time, her, you know, you know, 
putting that in me, I found my path within that. Does that make sense? No, completely. And I'm wondering, like, you know, I fully believe, like, you know, creatives are everywhere and, and you feel that energy. And as you identify even as yourself as a creative, did you feel that energy like growing up? Like, was there a way that your mom showed that or displayed that in any way? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. My mother, she still was seeing like I watch documentaries, like even the Mary J. Blige documentary that was out recently. I watched that and just listened to all the songs and I'm watching it and I'm with, you know, sitting there with a friend. I'm like, this reminds me so much of my childhood. And I had to text my mom because growing up, my mom, she was sing like she would like tell me to come and do something, but she would sing it to me. <laughs> you know, our voice message on our phone was her singing oh, like, sorry, she couldn't come to the phone. Leave your message at the tone. Like, you know, so I grew up in that type of energy all my life. Like we would be somewhere, we'd just be walking, my mom would just start singing and dancing with me. And so I grew up in that type of energy. And then also she made jewelry as a living. She made, yes, she made leather earrings and, you know, out of, she made jewelry out of leather. Wow. And so I seen all of her creativity come to life when I was young. And it just, she inspired me so much. I think she inspired me even much more than she realizes, I think. Wow. And, I you know, that. I knew I I wanted to be in that in some realm. And then when I was 15, and then that's when I met Lee. I, you know, was in high school and I was getting off the bus, like, you know, from to go home. So mm-hmm. we would transfer through downtown. Sure. And I was walking past a store called Bare Feet Shoes. And I said, and they had, they always had nice window display with cute clothes. I walked in there and I told the owner, I'm only 15, but if you let me come in your store, I promise everything that I put on my body will sell off the racks. (laughs) And I was like, I'll work, I'll sweep floors, I'll wear the clothes for free as a model. And like, he was so intrigued by my enthusiasm. He told me to come that following week on a Monday and he hired me. I mean, that's great. I mean, like you pitched yourself, right? Like you're like, I I believe in myself and my talent. Right. Look, I don't even need to get the money. Just like give me the job. I thought it was great. So mm-hmm. the job was to work there and then you would get clothes and shoes. As yeah, a- because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to work until I was 16. Right. <laughs> and so when I once I became 16, then I was able to work and actually get paid, you know, properly. But I was OK with that because I would put on clothes and I would tell all my friends because I went to Perry Traditional Academy. I would tell all my friends to come down there after school. We had like, you know, clothes and I would wear them and they would sell like the things that I would wear from the store would literally sell. One time I saw she was like, no, I want exactly what she has on. No, what she doing. That's what I want. (laughs) You are the brand ambassador. That's what you do. Exactly. Before brand ambassadors. (laughs) Who needs Instagram? Look, look at what I got on. (laughs) I think that's awesome. Like, I think like. You know, when you talk about your mom, there's just something, you know, about parents and sometimes in particular about moms who are able to just convey this energy. And it sounds like your mom like did that for you growing up, like where she, you know, I could just hear it now, like just singing things and just being playful. I mean, you know, I believe that she probably had moments where she wasn't playful. But like there's this mixture of just experiencing those good times and seeing creativity seeing dreams, seeing opportunities. And then uh, somehow at 15, you learned how to 
put yourself out there to pitch in a way to say, like, I believe in myself. And, you know, I don't always see that mm-hmm. for some people, you know, especially 13, 14, 15 to say, like, I want something and I'm going to find a way to make it happen, even without mm-hmm. money. I think that's just great that you're able to do that. Yeah. So. So. All right. So now if we fast forward, you know, and uh, uh, just so I'm clear, this was in the Pittsburgh area. Yes. Uh-huh. Pittsburgh. All right. All right. So and then. Fast forward, you go to Howard and you were saying that the business school degree was pretty demanding. Does that mean it made it hard for you to still do fashion stuff? It made me hard. I couldn't double major because I it was I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. My mom, you know, said that, you know, I should major in business and I knew where my heart was. But at the same time, she's my mother and she's helping with and, and you know. I tried to see if I can double major, do a dual major, and I could not because of the requirements yeah. of being a business major at Howard University. So that's what made, you know, so it was like more of an extracurricular activity as opposed to being, you know, in a craft as opposed to being part of my major. Okay. So did that feel like a setback for you or did that feel like you weren't able to do what you want to do? Yes and no. I think it was a setback in a way of I probably would have graduated And this is in hindsight, right? I probably would have graduated and gone to FIT. Uh, Had I had the fashion merchandising background, I would have left there and, you know, gone to FIT. And I thought about FIT after I graduated and I looked at the requirements and I didn't have the requirements to major, you know, in fashion design at the time because I didn't have those certain things, you know, their, their criteria criteria at the time I didn't have that stuff under my belt so in that way yes but in another way no because now I look at it and I'm doing what I love Mm -hmm. and I think that I'm very financial savvy now and I think part of that comes from you know learning certain things that you know back then at Howard and not saying like because you know some of those classes I look at I'm like why did I have to take that class? What what right. does it even do with my life right now? Right. right. But the business, you know, fundamentals is what I think I value most from, you know, my experience at Howard. Does that mean you feel like your mother's advice of majoring in business was helpful for you? Now I feel like it was helpful. <laughs> yeah. You you asked me this even 10 years ago. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a waste of my time. <laughs> I could have been doing something else. <laughs> right. I could have started way earlier. <laughs> right. Right. But, you know, I think like and you mentioned this about hindsight, right? There's some times where we don't really recognize these things until we can really look back. You know, there's certain points in my life. I'm like, man, I would have done that differently. But if I had done it differently, it might not have worked out the way things worked out. And so, you know, sometimes we just got to say, like, all right, this decision was was meant to be and the right yeah. thing for me. So what happens after Howard or did anything happen before Howard finished? Like, so like you're, you're majoring in business, you're doing fashion stuff. What happens in your journey after that? So after Howard, I never forget. I was like two weeks before I was about to graduate. I did not because in my mind, I, I couldn't tell this to my parents. Right. In my mind, I knew I did not want to work for corporate America, but I couldn't say that after coming out of school and having, you know, even though I had scholarship money, I wasn't a full scholarship. I wasn't on a full scholarship. And, you know, my parents were looking at it as like, okay, now you're about to graduate. Time to get paid. 
Yes, it's time to get paid and pay back your student loans and figure out your life. Now it's it's called adulting. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, hmm, I don't want to work for corporate America, so I'm just going to figure it out. So my dad, when it came down from our graduation, we had a talk and he said, I can help you with two things. Either you can take a trip to Paris, think about it and figure out your life because I'm only giving you a month of helping you or you can figure out your life and I'll help you buy a car. Well, and that's another thing. I wish I would have taken a trip to Paris because I could have just got a hoop. But I was so fixated on having a Grand Cherokee when I graduated from college. <laughs> Why Grand Cherokee? That, because my OK, so growing up, my aunt, my mom's youngest sister, she had a Grand Cherokee and her, her husband had a Denali. And I love both of their SUVs. And I said, OK, so when I graduate from college, I either want a Grand Cherokee or, or a Denali. So you already had in your mind what you wanted for college. <laughs> after, right. OK. So you took the car, right? I feel like it's I like the price is right. <laughs> Behind this window is a car and the other is a trip to Paris. So you took the car and then what happened? So, I, yeah, I took the car and I had a month to decide, stayed in D.C. and had a month to decide what I was doing. Wow. You know, my, my dad helped me with bills. <laughs> well, it was between L.A., which my dad lived in L.A. at the time, or Atlanta. And I knew I wanted to pursue the entertainment world, but I didn't know in what capacity, something in fashion, but I didn't know what in what capacity. So I had a friend who's really like a cousin because we were related through marriage, who lived in LA, worked with Dr. Dre. And I went to LA to visit and went to the studio, met Dr. Dre. And I told him I was interested in working as a stylist on music videos. And he was like, okay, I can put you in touch with my video director. His name was Phil Atwell. And he did all of Dr. Dre's videos at that time. And so he put me in touch with him. And I just thought instantly, OK, I'm going to be a stylist for Phil. And, you know, I'm going to work on all of Dr. Dre and, you know, all the videos over there on the West Coast. And he was like, oh, no, sweetheart, you have to start off as a production assistant, the lowest of the totem pole and work your way up. And I was like, no way. I just graduated with a business degree and right. I will start off as a production right. assistant. <laughs> And so I was a little beside myself, you know, as they and say, I, you was feeling yourself. I, I, listen, I, I look back now and I wasn't cocky, but I was really confident, yeah. you know, and it was a humbling experience because he didn't hire me because I told him what I was going to do. And he told me what if I wanted to work with him, what the position was and that Here was your it. options. Right. And I wasn't there for my options. And so. I did, and Dr. Dre said, you know what? So always with a plan, you always have a backup plan to your plan. And as long as you keep a backup plan to your plan, you'll never fail. And so I end up saying, forget L.A. I'm just going to roll the dice and move to Atlanta. Oh. And so I moved to Atlanta. Even I worked. Before you go to Atlanta, before you go there, like, mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting, right? Like there's sometimes where we want or hope for an opportunity or a hookup. And somebody says they're going to do it and they don't do it. I mean, the fact that you had that meeting and conversation with Dr. Dre, and I'm assuming this is at least like he's known and he's in his heyday, right? Oh, yes. This was, yes, this was chronic 2000. Right. <laughs> so he could easily have just blown you off, like said he's going to do something, but he, he actually like connected you with this person. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that still it says like, Somebody believed in you enough to connect you from one thing, one thing to the next. Mm -hmm. No, it speaks volumes. And like, I wonder if he even remembers what he did for me. Like, you know, because this is like 20 years later. I wonder if he remembers what he did for me back then. <laughs>
But we'll give a shout out to Dr. Dre for the advice <laughs> and for the hookup. And you decided to, I guess, that, what was this, your plan B? You decided then to, let's see, Atlanta, see what happens? Mm-hmm. So I moved to Atlanta and I started, I met up with some friends that I went to school with and back in Pittsburgh and a, a friend that I made in at Howard. She's actually my big sister because I pledged um, Alpha Chapter, a.k.a. at okay. Howard University. And she was my I big know a sister. Lot of, I know a lot of AKAs, so they'll be happy to, to shout out. <laughs> and so they started a production company called Smooth Tone Entertainment. And I joined forces with them. And we, we started to have shows at a place called the Tabernacle, which is was known before that as the House of Blues. And we had Friday nights and we had, we called it a midnight rendezvous. And we would bring like your local indie artists to um, perform, you know, on Friday nights, which was, we had, we created a whole vibe. We had good shows, but we weren't making a lot of money, but we were given a lot of money to start, to start up. And I'll never forget. It was a concert with Buster Rhymes and Lauren Hill. We had the official after party for Lauren Hill. We did not have the official after party for Buster Rounds where we put his picture on our flyer with Lauren Hill's picture and said the official after party for Lauren Hill. We should have never put his picture on our flyer. He came to the party in his tour bus and demanded to see the people who put this event together, took us back in the back office and said, look, I'm not associated. I'm having my own party and I'm not associated with whatever you guys are doing, but you put me on the flyer. So now you owe me money. And we were young. We were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And he demanded way more than what we were even able to get. And so of course, you know, he sees like these are young kids or whatever. Now he didn't walk away empty handed. Oh no, he, he you gonna give him something. <laughs> to teach us a lesson. Like yeah. you don't do that. You have to learn the rules of the, you know, the music industry. And so, you know, we gave him what we we settled on. And after that, I was just like, okay, you know, we had Clash of the Titans with some of us. You know, we were young. It was four of us, two guys, me and a girl. And so we kind of went our separate ways after that. And I said, okay, what, what am I doing next? Yeah. And I started, I got a job with Enterprise and I worked there for two, almost two months, six weeks. <laughs> and I said, I can't do this. No, that corporate job again. Nope, I can't do it. My first corporate job. And I said, I can't do this. And I had a friend who worked for Organized Noise at the time, the the label that uh, Outcast was under. Okay. And she said, what we're going to do is make you a fake resume. We'll make you a fake resume. And all the music videos that I worked on, we're going to say that you worked on too, but not as the wardrobe stylist that you worked as the stylist assistant. <laughs> Why? I, that title. <laughs> I, was, I was desperate. And right. so we did it. And it worked. I got called for my first, my first video I got called for was Pastor Troy to style a video. And it just so happened. I said it was by God's design, even though I lied, but the people they called were the same booking agency we used to book our indie artists through to see and yeah, to see if they knew me and if I was a good stylist. And one of the, it was two owners. It was a girl and a guy who owned the booking agency. And the guy called me and he said, you know what? I know you wanted to, you know, make it in the industry as a stylist instead of keep doing stuff for free and trying to make your way in the industry. He said, so I told him you were very, very good at your job. You're super talented and they would do themselves a disservice not to hire you. And I got hired from then. It was history. Wow. I mean, it just says a lot about 
relationships, right? Like when you talk about your friend who was out in LA and then Dr. Dre and then that experience and then the group that you were with and the events that you were putting on and then even the resume, right? Like they still were going to do their due diligence, but because you had enough a relationship with somebody that they vouch for you, right? And that allowed you to, to really start from that on. So you said from that point, it was history. So help us understand your trajectory. So what happened from that point on and, and maybe even lead us up to what you've been doing now? Mm-hmm. Well, I, so I started, you know, I took that music video route and I started going to networking. There were a lot of networking events, like industry networking events here at the time. And I went to industry networking event and met the fashion director for Macy's. And I told her I was, you know, in Atlanta, you know, uh, graduated from Howard not too long ago. And, you know, I just kind of gave her my short history of what I've done since Howard and, you know, told her I would love the opportunity to be a stylist with Macy's for any fashion shows that they have, any way I can get on, you know, willing and able to do what I need to do to get my foot in the door. The girl's name was Kyla. And I gave her, we exchanged business cards because we had business cards at the yes, time. We that's right. business cards. And she ended up giving me a call. I can't remember the timeline, but she ended up giving me a call and saying, hey, I have a junior's um, fashion show coming up. I can't hire you as the stylist, but I want to see your work. Mm-hmm. So if you can come in and as a dresser, I'll pay you to come in on as, as a dresser and then have you also put some books together and see where we can go from there. And I ended up getting a job as the contract, one of the contract stylists for Macy's, independent contract stylist, and doing their ready-to-wear women's shows and nice. junior shows, as, along with styling. So I felt like, okay, I knew I didn't want to take the corporate route, but I knew I just couldn't do styling for music videos until I really made a name for myself. Mm-hmm. I needed income, another source of income, but I still right. wanted to stay in the fashion realm. So you know, along with me styling, I end up landing that contract. So I start doing runway shows for Macy's and that segued into me doing a show a year, like the annual show for sex, getting the contract with the America's Paramart, which is like, the you know, clothing trade show here. They do uh, certain shows per year, depending on the season. So I got that contract. And then along with me styling for artists, I start building a name for myself in Atlanta because I, I think for me, I went on that model is who, you know, but it's what you know that keeps you there. And that's what worked for me. No, I, I love that. And you know what I really appreciate, as they say, you stayed hungry, right? Like you yeah. were always willing to try and to go. And I think, you, you know, I don't know if it was, no, I mean, it probably goes back to, you know, bare feet at 15, you were already doing this. Right. But even after the Dr. Dre kind of connection point, that you were willing to work for free. Just get me on. Just just put me on. Put me in. <laughs> I will find a way to show you my talent and my creativity. And I think sometimes people are creative and talented, but they're not willing to, to work for free. Good work. Right. Right. They're not willing to show up. They just believe like because I'm talented, somebody's supposed to put you on. But that's just mm-hmm. that's just, just not how it really works. You gotta mm-hmm. show and prove and sometimes work for free. And it sounds like you were willing to do that and that started to earn you money as you were building your whole like, you know, repertoire and portfolio, which is awesome. So you start to make a name for yourself. You are now, you know, doing these things for these 
clothing companies, your people are hearing you, uh, hearing about your name. Uh, it sounds like you're now still working with music videos at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then at that point, did you feel satisfied or what else did you want or what else were you trying to do with your life and career? Oh, I was satisfied at the time. I was in, in my early 20s and, you know, um, in all the in crowd, as you would say, okay. and just doing what I love and making money. And at that time, I don't know if you are familiar with the industry, but at that time, there were like music videos were a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, we yeah. had big budgets, yeah. like big budgets to do music videos back then. And so like the wardrobe. Movies. <laughs> Yes, yes, they were like mini movies, and the wardrobe stylists were considered like the artists too. So we got, we we got preferential treatment just like the artists did. And so I was like, oh, I love it here. <laughs> and so I for do this all day, <laughs> right? But then when I realized how much money I was making, I'm like, oh, I don't because we we have long hours too, and that's what people yeah. don't realize. Like being in this industry is not a regular eight hour day. Our hours are like 14, 16, 18 hour days. And that's normal for this industry. Yeah. And so at random times, it could be overnight, could be like, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't, they see the finished product and maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 30, maybe it's a whole movie, but they don't realize that like being on set Mm -hmm. is a full day work. Yes. It's a lot of work. And that's what, you know, people look at the end result and they want the, the glamorous life. And but they don't know there's a lot of like hard, hard work and many sacrifices that go in it. And so I realized, I'm like, oh, my goodness, these hours are crazy. But I do enjoy what I'm you know, I do what the money's good. So what I can do is I put a formula. I was like, I only have to do this amount of videos a month. And then I could take off the rest of the month and not do anything and do a couple fashion shows and then I'm good. Well, if I would have had that hungry mentality then mm. and just said, I'm going to work, 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 work. Yeah. I think I would have put myself, but I didn't have that mind frame, you know, I think I would have put myself in a whole different. And not that it was about, let me say this, not that it was about money, but for me, it's more about now, it's more about financial freedom, because if you have that financial freedom, I can live and do the things that I really want to do in life, like travel the world and, you know, not limit myself as much as like, OK, I can take a vacation here and then I can take a vacation here. It would be limitless. But I didn't prioritize right, you know, in my 20s. It, and so It makes sense, too. Like, you know, we make decisions at that time and we think it's best. And. Once again, hindsight, right? Looking back mm-hmm. and saying like, you know, wisdom probably would have been like, I could have worked maybe three weeks and take a week off, right? You know, like I could give myself a break, but I could also push it a little bit. And, yep. and then that would have given me, you know, even more freedom. So you were doing all of that. How did you get into, I guess, TV world or movie mm-hmm. world? Like, how did that transition for you? So it got to a point where, okay, I started to get in my late 20s. And, you know, I was tired of the scene on the music side of it. And I was like, okay, I'm more calm now. I'm not the party girl. And I love this, but I just want something that's more stable and more, you know, and nothing against artists, but, you know, they, they like to party. Even music videos was like a party. I would go to work. It would be like a party. And so I just want a different pace. And so from there, I tried to segue into TV and film and 
you know, I would get the meetings and they were like, um, well, you're not in the union. I'm like, what's the union? What is the union? I'm I'm a stylist and I've done this person, this person, this person. What it would like, I didn't know what it meant. Mm. And so one, there was a music video director that was doing a movie in Miami and it was called On the Come Up. And he said, well, being that you want to design on movies, I'll let you do my first DVD movie. Okay. And, you know, so you can get a taste of how it is that side. And then so I went to Miami and we were there for three weeks to film the movie because it was a low budget movie and it was all filmed in one day. What I didn't know is about continuity for movies. Yeah. And that I, that was a hard lesson. And so what continuity is, is say we film a scene on today and then we pick back up with the same scene or like a, and the scene follows it the next day but we only do we do it like three days from today knowing that the clothes that were worn on that day the same exact way they need to be and it's when you pick back up on that scene they have everything has to be exactly how it was in the scene prior or you know whatever you shot you know before that and I had a lot of continuity errors. Oh. And so I had to learn the hard way. And, you know, it was a it was a learning curve for me. And I realized it was harder than what I thought it was. And um, again, it sounds like relationships, right? Like sounds like this is a music director that you worked with before that now mm -hmm. you're able to work with again. That gives you that opportunity. And when you say continuity, so, you know, as a therapist, I work with lots of people. But part mm -hmm. of it when I was <laughs> in my training. I was also going on auditions. I was, you know, doing background work, on camera work, lots of stuff. And I remember just mm -hmm. them doing continuity checks, right? Like at the, you know, because that is so important. Mm -hmm. You know, like somebody has a different hairstyle, a different color outfit. And it's like, <laughs> it's the same day. You're confused. You, you just <laughs> mess people up. So you learned the hard way. <laughs> but that's yes. good that it was almost like it wasn't, yes, it was a big project for that director. But it, it might not have been the biggest project that where you could have maybe been shunned out of the industry. Yeah, right. And the only thing that was kind of my saving grace is because the whole movie was shot in one day. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was like she had on a green shirt today and she had on a red shirt. It was a matter of making sure the buttons are correctly buttoned. And if the, the coat was zipped all the way up, that is back all the way up, yeah. that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But so you were able to catch that. So then mm -hmm. what happened from there? So from there, I still wasn't in the uh, the uh, union, the film union. And my boyfriend at the time had a friend who was a writer for TV shows. And, you know, it was funny. You're, now that you bring it to my attention, a lot of my things have been, it's epiphany, like built on relationships. Yeah, yeah. But I always, I'm big on relationship building just in life in general. And one of, I'm sorry, this is like a sidetrack. One of the takeaways that a friend gave to me that what they admire about me is the way that the type of relationships I have. When I have relationships, I nurture my relationships and I have strong relationships when, you know, I support them and they support me just as much because of the support we give each other. No, I and, think that's important. Like, you know, and I, from what you're saying, I do think a relationship is a huge part of your trajectory. But you don't get there if you're not a good person, if you're not a good friend, Thank you. you're not That's nurturing so that. Because like you could say, like, I know somebody, but they don't they don't have to pick up your call. They don't have to do you a mm -hmm. solid. It's because you've like invested and nurtured it. So I can tell 
that that's what you've done, which has helped you to, to get all these other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's great. And so, <laughs> and so just so happened the job was on Turner, turn at Turner studios here where, you know, a lot of the, um, basketball stuff, like everything sports related is filmed at Turner Studios. And there were some shows there that were under the BT umbrella. Well, I didn't know, God's grace, that anything under that Turner Studio umbrella, you did not have to be in the union at the time. So I was protected. If I got the job that I was protected under that Turner Studios umbrella, where I did not have to be in the union to work there. And so I went in for, it was two different projects. And the fashion is, I mean, the uh, costume designer, her name was Rita McGee. And Rita, she said, when I sat down, she was like, I'm really big on energy. And, you know, I, if I love your energy and I get a good vibe from you, you know, maybe you could work with my team. <laughs> and so we sat down and talked. We actually had a lot in common. She was older than me, but she went to Howard. She graduated, aka Alpha oh. Chapter at Howard. And then we just got to talking and, you know, she was just like, you know what? I like, I like you. It. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you my people. <laughs> Pretty much. And I got the job. And um, I, my first project there was, it was a show called Read Between the Lines with oh. An- Anthony Anderson yeah. and Tracy Ellis Ross. That was like the Blackish before Blackish. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> And so, and it's funny, it came full circle. So when they got the show and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Cause they had, even though they weren't, it was her and Malcolm Jamal Warner on that show, but there was some type of dynamic that was created from that show that made him call Tracy for Blackish. Wow. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. Cause I remember when that show came out and then like, like you said, how then trajectory brought to Blackish. And I was like, wow, there's something about it that felt familiar, uh, but you know, still very different. And now mm-hmm. they went like what eight seasons into that show. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. So you worked on that show, and that, and then it seems like your once again your career has been building from day one, right? Your energy, your passion, your willingness to to bet on yourself. I mean, they say this a lot on sports, right? Contracts coming up. They say like, look, I'm gonna bet on myself. I'm gonna believe in myself for that big contract. And it sounds like you just did that like over and over while mm-hmm. nurturing these relationships. And I think like this, that's just amazing. So tell us, right? Like as you're going through all of this, I know that you've worked on some really great things. And how did this work that you've been building on then connect you into the whole Tyler Perry universe? So I worked for BT after that for quite a bit, went to VH1 and worked on Single Lady okay. and some of their shows, you know, over under the VH1 network, went to do some feature films and I had been asked maybe like three times to come over to Tyler Perry Studios. And I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not coming over there. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not working over there. I heard bad things. <laughs> and I got a call from a friend of mine who we've worked on other projects outside of there together. And she worked over at Tyler Perry Studios and she said, you know, and by this time I had worked my way up from being a costumer which a costumer on on set is the person who like watches the actors once the designer gets them dressed, um, watches the actors on set to make sure that their continuity stays the same. So I went from being a set costumer all the way to being an assistant costume designer by the time I was, you got the third call to come to Tyler Perry Studios. And she was like, you know, they're looking for two buyers for a show. 
And I said, well, you know, Siobhan, I'm not, I'm not a buyer anymore. I'm, you know, assistant costume designing. And so if they're interested in an assistant costume designer, I would be willing to come over for an interview. But if not, then, you know, I'm going to stay over where I am. She was like, no, I actually think they're looking for an assistant costume designer too. And so I went over there and I interviewed and I ended up being over there. Well, now I'm still there currently for five years now. And so I started off over at Tyler Perry Studios as a assistant costume designer. And now I am a costume, well, the costume designer, because the costume designer that I was assisting there, you know, I was her assistant costume designer. Her name is Crystal Hazlett. She's now acting on Sisters, the show. Something like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a full circle moment. Like we started, you know, together as a design team. And when that show, Sisters, came out, exactly when the oval came out and so she worked as the designer on the oh i mean the sisters the first season and then that's when we branched off and i was promoted to being a costume designer there wow and i my first show under the tyler perry umbrella was season one of the oval and so shows are you working with right now um well currently i'm the costume designer for the oval for a new show, we're in second season and well, about to be second season airing, but filmed all the Queensmen, Assisted Living, the show that the man are on. Yes, I love them. <laughs> I was going to bring that up because I, I was fortunate to have David Mann on the podcast not that long ago. And we were talking about his arc with his costumes. And he's like, like, isn't it just crazy? It's like, he's just like, it's always crazy. He's just now so used to it. So I was wondering if that was also one of the shows that you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he loves it because, you know, I didn't design his look from the start. It was um, another designer that created it, but it, it was more like vintage. And I told him, OK, I said now being that I'm, you know, this is a whole new show, Assisted Living, and you're still Mr. Brown. I want to revamp yeah. Mr. Brown, make it more modern, crazy. And he I mean, he absolutely loves it. <laughs> see that too there's a way that the colors feel like they pop a little bit more they're Mm -hmm. they're more vibrant even though he's always kind of vibrant which once again that it sounds like part of your work is being able to have a vision and being able to make that come out through wardrobe costume look and feel Mm -hmm. yeah so it sounds like you you know some of the things you know i'm curious about what would you say in all this and i know there's so much more that we didn't even get to cover but what would you say has been some of the highs of your career and how did you navigate even some of the lows? Some of the highs of my career, I will honestly say I've been able, been blessed to work with some amazing people. I mean, really great shows like, you know, some people have horror stories in this industry. And I can honestly say I've been blessed and covered in that way, even like from when I first started, my second show after Read Between the Lines was Sunday's Best. And Sunday's Best is a gospel show. Yeah. And like going to work and singing gospel, meeting all this, these gospel artists, it was amazing wow. for me. Like I was in heaven. Yeah. And, <laughs> awesome. and so I felt like, and this is just me, I felt like the mood for my career was set mm-hmm. from when I did Read Between the Lines. So it was like everything has been, I haven't had really a bad string of, jobs. And I know how to say if it, if something doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. I don't say yes to everything. I know how to say no. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's really great. Once again, that you've learned that. And I love, you know, when, from your meeting with Rita, like, if I like you, we're going to be good. Right. And that was a instant connection to like the mood, right? Like that there's a way and energy and perspective that you bring and want to have. And if it's not there, you are able to move on. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. in going after the dream and being hungry, and I've had to, you know, learn this in my own life, like, you know, mm -hmm. being a therapist and helping people, but doing a lot of stuff on TV and in other spaces, working with athletes and entertainers, that sometimes I've had to realize that, you know, you have to be able to say no, right? You have to be able yeah. to say, like, as they say, to fall back because not every opportunity is a good opportunity or the best opportunity mm -hmm. for you. And yeah. that mood or that feel becomes really important. Yes, because I'm really big on if it does not feel right, I don't want to do it. And there have been situations where, like, you know, I've been the lead on jobs where I've had people in my that I've hired in my department. I'm like, yeah, the same. Just yeah. don't know about this. <laughs> where it's just like because I try to create an environment and everybody knows I'm a I'm a hard worker. Right. And as a designer, there are certain things that I don't do in my position, but I show them that, no, I don't, I'm not above that because I want you to know that I don't want you to be the type of person to think that you're above that because that's not your job. Yeah. So I will get in and get my hands dirty too. And they love that. Like, oh my God, you're, why are you doing? No, because I don't think I'm better than anybody else. We are all, just because I'm your boss doesn't mean that I think I'm better than you. Yeah, I love it. And I try to carry that with my team and they know that like, we're going to work hard and we're all going to do a job as a team and get it done and then respect one another, and then we can have fun as well. That's great. I, I love it. And I could hear it. And so how have you navigated even like the tough times or the low times? Pray. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you because there have been, you know, tough times where we've had, like I've had two, three shows at the same time, and it's been a lot. And uh, where they wanted me to do three shows at the same time, all filming exactly at the same time. And that's where I, I said no. I'll take two shows, but then when I, even when I took two shows, one kind of overlapped. So it was like three all at the same time at one point. And just, I pray. Because even sometimes they're like, you're like an energizer bunny. Like, we don't see how you do all of this. Like, they look at me sometimes and like, you must think you're a superhero. And I was like, no, God protects me. Because I know at the end of the day, if I know in my heart and in my like physical, like physically, I cannot do it. I won't do it. You know, sometimes I'll push myself and will it be more than I wanted to endure? Yes. Yes, I have done that. But it's a learning curve. Right. So when it comes back around, I won't do it the same way. or I won't say yes to the same exact thing. I love that being able to know yourself enough that you know what your limits are and that you can push yourself and stretch yourself, but also saying, OK, there's a place that's no. And also knowing mm -hmm. where your strength, right? Like through prayer and being able to to recognize that. And so once again, like you're, you know, I just hear like your ability to impact people by your presence, by your energy, by what the how you invest in the, the relationship, whether it be someone that you are working with or whether it's someone that's working with you. It sounds like you're you've been able to do that, which is really great. So there's a few questions I like to ask people as we get to the end. You've mm -hmm. been talking a little bit about this. So number one. What would you say you're working on now, like project, whether it's like a, a show or something else? Like, what is it that you are excited or involved in right now? Well, I'm excited about. So there is a new show that um, there's, well, there's a couple of new shows. 
There are two new shows that we have under the umbrella. One is All the Queen's Men's second season. I'm excited because this is the first time where I was able to be super creative on a, like across the board on the show. Being able, and when I say creative, because I can be creative with characters like Mr. Brown, and, but to be able to design from scratch, build costumes like from, you know, sketches. I feel like this is the first show that I was able to do that on. So I want to branch out and be able to do more of that, you know, to be considered possibly for Emmys and Oscars. So, you know, that's my my goal. And I actually, you know, exploring writing because I have some stories. (laughs) And so I'm exploring, I'm exploring writing and thinking about taking a writing class in September. I love that. I love that, mm-hmm. that you continue to be hungry and to expand and your talent just continues to grow in so many ways, right? Like not just, you know, enhancing the character, but building and then building throughout an uh, entire show. Uh, you know, I think that's really great. Mm-hmm. If you could think of someone that you could work with or even a design, a look or character for, who would it be? Hmm. There are so many people. That is such a hard question. There so <laughs> well, tell me a few, right? Tell me a few that you would love to like either work with or design for. Or, like, what would those people be for you? So I've actually worked on a period film, Hidden Figures, as the assistant costume. I mean, not a, as a buyer on Hidden Figures. And I worked on a period film as the assistant costume designer that um, Taraji P. Henson was in. Yeah. But never worked on anything where and, and a couple projects with her as an assistant costume designer, but never worked on because I think she's a great talent. Never worked on anything where I was the designer on okay. with her. So she's somebody that I would love to work with. Regina King is somebody I would love to work with. Kate Winslet is somebody I would love to work with. Meryl Streep is somebody I would love to work with. Denzel Washington I've worked with Samuel L. Jackson, but it was a smaller budget. Like I would like to work with him again on another project with a bigger budget. So there, there, I mean, that's just to name a few. I, I love those <laughs> names. Oh, those are awesome. Shout out to all those people. And hey, you know, maybe it's coming. We'll, we'll see. I always <laughs> love when, you know, my guests talk about the people they want to work with. And I just believe I'm, I always look forward to like, all right, I'm waiting for when somebody's going to tell me it happened. I work with those people. So you know, I'm hoping and believing that those individuals you get to work with and get to be the lead, you know, person to design a, a look and costume for them. You know, the other things I like to ask, the last two questions I like to ask people is what does... Can I tell you, uh, yeah, can I tell you something real quick? Yeah, yeah, it, it's right. funny you say that because I believe in speaking it into existence, manifestation. And just you just reminded me of a story that happened. I'll make it short. I was in a movie theater with a friend and we were watching Hunger Games, the first one. Okay. And I was like, I want to see, I want to work on a movie like this. I haven't had a chance to work on a movie like this. A year later, I got the call to work on Hunger Games, Catching Fire, the second one, as a buyer. That's what Under Trish Somerville, which I think she's an amazing costume designer. And it was funny because I hadn't talked to that friend. We were in two different places and they reached out and was like, I had to brag when I went to see the movie and, you know, tell people. I was with her when she said she was going to work on this and look what happened. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I mean, that is all, I I fully believe that our intentions, our mindset, our belief, all that is a part of it. And as you share, I'll share for myself. Like I, you know, as a therapist, 
there's lots of things I get to do. And I love doing the stuff outside of the therapy room, including things like this, being on mm -hmm. set, working with people. And, you know, I was always inspired by Dr. Alvin Poussant, who was a consultant for The Cosby Show in a Different World. And I mm. love that he did what he did in his regular everyday practice as a therapist. He used that to influence how they wrote the show and how they thought about different things along the way. And mm. I was like, you know, that's what I want to do, a part of my career. And about two years ago, I had an opportunity to start doing that for Nickelodeon, Nick Jr. Nice. and Nickelodeon. And I'm like, I love this stuff. And just even recently doing a little bit more of that. And now, like, you know, there's so many stories about therapists being on set and mm -hmm. you know, just talking about like, what is the mood? What do the actors need? Or even the storyline and the scripts. Those are the things that was like, it combines my world, my love for media and entertainment, but also mental health. So I am 100% with you about speaking it into existence and believing. And I've seen that in my life. I hear it in your life and in others. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Now I got to go back and look at Catch a Fire and look at the, the <laughs> outfits and the, the different looks that they had there. Last two questions I'd like to ask is, what would you say mental wellness means for you? A lot. I honestly feel like, you know, especially with everything that has happened even over the last two years with COVID and quarantine, it really took a toll on a lot of people, even close to me. And I'm talking about from a mental, you know, nobody passed away, but just from a mental health standpoint, that it it made me realize how many things that we take for granted, even like where, you know, thinking somebody might just be in a bad mood all the time and like, oh, well, they were just triggered and are, you know, just calling somebody Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, but no, not getting going, you know, beneath the surface and really realizing, okay, something is wrong. Where's the deeper issue? Let's go dig down some layers and figure out what is wrong. And for me, you know, just even with family and, you know, close friends, just making sure that I stay grounded, grounded in the word, yeah. grounded in who I am as a human being, realizing that all humans, you know, we're all here for the greater good, right? And everybody serves a purpose and just realizing that, we're all suffering from something, yeah. whether we know it or not, or whether we've come to be that self-aware mm -hmm. and being able to take control of and understand what it is and get to this, the surface level of what, what that problem may be, just for lack of better words, calling it a problem, right? Yeah. What that might be and being able to take hold of it. And sometimes that can be done without medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, it's about staying grounded. Grounded in the work and grounded in who I am as a human being to to make sure that my mental health is right. And, you know, we all have good and bad days. But when you have those bad days, figure out what what made you. Because you know how sometimes you'll wake up and be like, I'm just grumpy. But <laughs> right. you don't know what you're grumpy. Yeah, you're just feeling something. It's like, no, you got to shake that off because it's your mindset. And if you put that stuff in your mind, that's what, you're, that's what you'll put out there in the universe. But if you process it and like know and like try to, you know, make it more positive or put a positive spin on it, then that's what you put out in the universe. No, so I love mental that. health is big. I love that. And it's important. You know, I really appreciate what you're sharing because, you know, just earlier today I had to do a, a media interview uh, just talking about that, you know, just how so many people are feeling anxiety and overwhelmed. 
and not knowing what to do. And, you know, what you're saying is a really important part of it is knowing what are the resources you have, right? Sometimes, right, to be pray, to be able to pray and to shake it off. But the other part is you have to at least know something is different with you. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people just roll out and just keep moving. They don't recognize their mood is off or how who they mm-hmm. are is off. And so I love that you're, you know, really highlighting like self-awareness and how important that is. Last question. Mm-hmm. If what mental wellness advice would you give to your younger self? And that could be as early as yesterday or any time before. Like, what would you say to yourself? To my younger self, humans are always going to disappoint you. Just don't take things personal. Everybody's dealing with something in life and stay grounded. Stay true to who you are. Once you find out who you are as a person, right? Stay true to who you are as a person and just be a good human. Honestly, be a good human, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your setbacks, regardless of what people do to you. Be a good human because karma is real, right? What you, what somebody does to you is 10%, but how you react to it is 90%. Yeah. Oh, no, I think that's great. And I think like your life and career shows that, right? Like if you are bad or negative or mean or difficult to people, you would have experienced that. That would have come back to you in some way. But it sounds Mm -hmm. like you have given, you know, goodness, kindness, love, joy, all these wonderful things to people. And you've just invested in people and it's come around for you as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Rayonda, like I really love what you've shared and what you're doing and some people don't recognize how important the look is, the costume, the design, and how that shapes people's image, character, how it even impacts how we think about a character we see on screen or on TV. And like you, through your work, you're shaping people's moods and energy and belief about a particular character, whether they like someone or not, off the bat, just because of how they look, whether you're invested <laughs> in that character. so. The work you do is amazing. And uh, before we end, I just want to say, is there anything else that you want to say before we end our time today? Just, you know, anybody that might be watching that's looking to, you know, even getting on this side of the industry, don't give up. Never say, I mean, don't give up. And your first no, you might get a hundred no's and believe that it just takes that one yes, that one yes to get in the door and to prove yourself to, you know, and make a way for yourself and it keep a strong work ethic work ethic and it goes a long way yeah yeah no i love that rayonda thank you for joining leapcast for sharing for dropping gems and just your amazing career and what you're doing i wish you continued Mm -hmm. uh blessings and success and thanks again for joining wow What an incredible ride we just went on with another great member of the Leapcast community. I appreciate you listening and hope you got some tangible value from the episode. Please let us know what you think by leaving a comment, rating, and review. As always, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Dr. George James, and I'll see you next time.